So we're in a series. Who knows what the series is called? Ah, oh, come on. We've been in it forever. It's like a really long series. We're up to part seven. You should know by now. Even if you've missed the last six, you should know. What is it called? Ah, you're just reading the screen, cheats. Okay, practice makes progress. We're talking about spiritual disciplines in our lives. Roseanne was right when she shouted out disciplines. That's what it's about. And uh, the art of confession, I, f- I believe, has left the Pentecostal church. We've lost something in that. We've lost kind of the grief over sin. Different cultures and different time periods and different places in history, the people of faith have kind of had blind spots. They've kind of had areas that you think, man, if when you look back on history, you go, what were they thinking? You know, it's easy to look back at another time and, and do that. And, and you, know, you just think uh, like the Crusades or, uh, or the es- extreme asceticism of some of the, the monks uh, and back in the day or, or you know, the, the buying of indulgences. So that's like buying your way into heaven that happened in the Catholic Church. Th- these things, we look back and we go, what? How did they do? What? How did they get to that place? What went wrong that they got to that place? And I reckon in, 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 in future days to come, the, the future church is going to look back at the church today and going to go, where's the practice of confession? Where is confession gone? Where's the grace of confession gone in the Pentecostal church? Now, a lot, a lot of you might be sitting there and thinking, oh, confession, that's for the, you know, the, the Catholic. We don't have a confessional. I don't have a little booth that I sit in during the week and you come and confess to me. I'm sorry if you're looking for one. Um, uh, you know, you might think, oh, that's just for, for different, for older style denominations. Um, we're people Pentecostal. We don't need confession. God forgives us once and for all. And that is true. Praise God, he does. And then, but then we think, oh, so we never need to confess again. Or perhaps you're sitting there thinking, oh, what, what, is, what, what do I even mean? What, what, what is this confession thing I'm talking about? You're not sure. To be honest, you know, this practice of confession, it was, I was going to leave this one out in the series. I thought, oh, this is a bit, it's a bit old-fashioned. It's not very relevant. It's not very cool and hip. Um, so no one really wants to hear about it. So let's just shuffle that one off to the side and we'll drop it. But the more I read about it, the more I reflected on it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, actually, this is the one that we probably do the worst. It's probably one I most need to speak about. So buckle up, because we're going on a journey this morning, church, to become more like Christ through confession. Because that's what it's about, eh? Becoming more like Jesus. So you ready? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? Turn to your other neighbor and say, to confess. <laughs> no, you don't have to confess right now. It's okay. But, but, but that's what we're talking about. So why? Why confession? You know, if you're a Christian here today, you know that the Bible says that Jesus on the cross paid for our sins, bought our redemption, bought us salvation once and for all. It's assured through Him. Right? Am I right, church? Yep, you agree with that. So that's good. We've established that. But you see, the thing with salvation is that it's both an event and a process. At some point, we have the event, like these two kids did on Friday night. They have this event where they give their hearts to Jesus. That that salvation journey begins. But then it's a process. It keeps going. Apostle Paul 
Speaking to the early church, we've got this on the screen here, Philippians 2 verse 12, it says, we have to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he has salvation, but we're still working it out, right? That, 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 it might be a new concept to some of you, but we have salvation, but it's still an ongoing process. Ephesians 4.13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, that's the end goal. And I don't know about you, but I haven't made it. And I don't think any of you have either. Just looking around, no, <laughs> no. You see, you see we, we, we're fooling ourselves and we think, oh, I just crossed the line to salvation and that's it. Job done. And I just cruise to heaven. Okay, that's, that's not how it works. You see, the discipline of confession helps us to grow to become more like Christ. Now you might say, well, you know, isn't confession actually just about the grace of God? It's not a discipline at all. It's not a practice. Well, it's both. There is a grace in it. We need the grace of God in our confession. But it's also a practice. It's also something we need to build into our lives. It's kind of like there's a, there's a reaching down from heaven of grace, but there's also a reaching up from earth, from us, from confession to happen, for us to, to, to connect in that way. Now, you might think, oh, well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but my confession is a personal thing. You know, I just, just me, myself, and God, I confess, and we get it sorted in my little prayer closet thing, and, and it's all good, thank you very much, and I don't need to have anybody else involved. And that's where you, you'll be wrong. <laughs> that's where you would actually be pandering to the way society works. It's all about the individual. And remember, Maya gave an amazing word about it. It's all our, about our autonomy. It's all about um, just me, myself, and I. Because yes, while Jesus did it, and it is between, you know, we don't need another high priest. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. So we have one mediator. He's done. He is our high priest. So he sorts it from that perspective. But James 5, 15 and 16 says this, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up if they have sinned. They will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. It's there in black and white. Confess your sins to each other, not just to God, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, you know, we cross the line into salvation, but for us to have full healing, to have full restoration, full redemption, we need to confess. We need to pray for one another. And then the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So it's a both and, right? It's not an either or. It's not just you just have your confession time with God by yourself, or you just go and you confess to someone. Else. No, it's, there's both. Both of those things need to be happening in our lives. However, we find it difficult, right? How many of you find confessing to other people easy? I'm not expecting hands to go up now. <laughs> it's hard, right? Why do we find it so hard? Partly, I think it's because we think everybody else has it all together. We live in our own wee bubble, and we think we're just alone in our sin. We're the bad one. Richard Foster says this, Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. And I think that's true. We are both. We are the saints of God, but we're also a bunch of sinners. Turn to your neighbor. 
Don't say anything. <laughs> and turn to your other neighbor and just realize that they are as sinful as you. They may have different things they struggle with, but they are on the same page as you. And there's something very freeing about that. There's something very releasing to know that actually I'm not alone. Because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to think that you're all alone in your sin. Because if he can do that, if he can isolate you, then he's won the battle. That's just how he works. He's always seeking to isolate us. He gets us believing the lie that, that we, you know, we have to have it all together. As a Christian, I sh- shouldn't have any sin in my life. I shouldn't have anything wrong because I've been a Christian for 20 years. Therefore, I've dealt with all that stuff. I'm perfect now. Rubbish. <laughs> Come on, you never outgrow. Because I think we think we outgrow the, the discipline of confession. You know, back when I first got saved, I had a lot of things to confess to. But now that I've been a, a Christian for a while, you know, I don't have to confess anything. No, it's not something you outgrow. The truth of the matter is that we will always need this discipline in our lives. Maybe in, in different, different ways, different areas, you know, as you grow, you'll need, and it's almost like God just keeps revealing things in your life. Like he deals with one thing, you know, yes. And then he's just like, oh, hang on, there's another door. And you walk into another room, you're like, oh, my goodness, all this insecurity, all this another level of challenges. Another, you, know, you have kids. And you realize how selfish you really were. Uh, and then, uh, you know, things just keep changing. And you just need to keep growing. Because confession, it, it, it actually, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. Right? There's something hard about it. I, I've heard it said, I've got to bring in a bike, bike analogy here. But I've heard it said about training on my bike that, that the, the, the training doesn't get any easier. You just go faster. It's true, right? Like, actually, it's the same in life. The training actually doesn't get any easier. You just improve. You just grow in faith and in grace and in favor and in influence. And the world, your world gets bigger and, and, and you start to shift more stuff. But the training isn't any easier. That doesn't shift. You don't ever get to a point that you stop the disciplines. I think, imagine if you train that way for sport. Imagine if, uh, like, I've been doing a winter series, a series runs over winter, funnily enough, every Saturday there's a race. And, uh, and if I got to the start of the season, I'd done my training, I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, I'm fit, I'm ready to go. And then I did no more training for the next three months over the course of this. How, how many of you know that would not go well for me? I would get slower and slower and I'd just get my butt kicked by people like Ben and Martina Reefer who train every day. Uh, and it would, it would, yeah, it would not go well. But somehow we think that in our Christian world, in our Christian life, we're like, oh yeah, no, I'm praying, yep, yeah, I did that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, reading the Bible. Well, I've read the Bible through. Well, yippee-yay-yay, well done. I'll give you a gold star. You read the Bible through. Are you living it? Because look, I've read the Bible, I don't know, five at least times through. And I'm still a long, long way from actually living it out. You know, we, we, we need to keep growing, keep training, keep pushing in. Because that's how the disciplines work in our lives. Don't think, oh, well, you know, I, I did the Bible reading. Uh, and, and back in 2015, I stopped that. Uh, and now I'm just kind of, I'm cruising. Well, you, you're not cruising. Actually, you're sliding. You're sliding backwards. And your faith is getting weaker. And you're getting deeper and deeper into the world. And you're getting further and further away from Christ. 
actually, you need these disciplines. All these disciplines we're talking about, you know, prayer and, and, um, and reading the Bible and simplicity and all those things we've been talking about. Confession. Confession. The Holy Spirit's actually, I was praying about this in the week. He said, you know, today's going to be like a friendly kick in the pants for some of you to get back into the discipline of confession. Because it's easy to stop because it's a hard one to do. It's hard to confess to someone, and therefore it's easy to stop doing it, right? And the beautiful thing in God is that it's never too late to start again. He's never like, oh, no, sorry, you can't start again. No, we can always come back to him because his arms are open with grace. Because the amazing thing is we've all been given authority to forgive one another's sins. That, that, that sounds strange, but it's right there in Scripture. Let's read it. In John 20, 21 to 23, this is Jesus. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's given us authority. He's breathed into us and spoken into us so that when someone confesses to us, we can say, hey, it's okay. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't hold that against you. How cool is that? Bonhoeffer writes, the, the theologian says, our brother or our sister has been given to us to help us. He or she hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead, and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. That's cool. Now, some of you might think, oh, you know, Martin Luther, the Reformation, we did away with all that kind of need for that stuff. But even Martin Luther, the great reformer, believed in this too, he, this whole idea of mutual brotherly, sisterly confession. Like it's not something, it's, like I said, it's not an either or. It's a both and. Because what happens when we practice confession is two things. Firstly, we're liberated from our guilt, Right? That's what we want. We want that weight lifted. A weight is lifted. The burden you've been carrying alone, the enemy has been trying to keep you alone in it, and it's lifted when you confess it to someone else. It's, it's incredibly freeing when you do that. You probably know that feeling. Possibly just, you know, just think back to when you're a kid and you've done something wrong, and it's just weighing on you. And finally, you tell your parents, and they're like, well, they're disappointed, but they're just like, okay. You shouldn't have done that. And you're like, oh, whew. Just this weight has been lifted. And you think to yourself, why didn't I tell them sooner? Why didn't I do this? So we're, we're liberated from the guilt that, that's on us when we confess. The second thing is we're a little bit less likely to repeat that sin when we confess to someone else regularly. The sin looks less attractive, especially if we have someone that we're regularly going to and regularly confessing to, because we know that we've got to approach them and tell them again that we've done this. So there's an added impetus towards holiness when we do it. So how? How do we do it? Firstly, and probably most importantly, is you find a friend. It's not find a friend. This isn't a quiz show. It's find a friend. Find a friend. The most important step, actually, is to, to find a confidant, a, uh, an accountability partner, someone you know well and who knows you well, 
who you can confide in. I'm going to put it out there that I don't think that should be your, your spouse because I think uh, often the, uh, the, the sins we're confessing are around our sexuality and I think actually a, a guy confessing to a guy and a, and a woman to a woman is powerful and, and, uh, and it's good because guys and girls, they, they, they struggle with different stuff and actually only a guy really un, un, un understands a guy's brain and definitely only a woman understands a woman's brain. <laughs> well, I've got no idea. So... <laughs> So, so fine. And actually, even the women don't really understand women's brains either. Uh, I've got a good... So I've got a good friend, Jake. I've known Jake since my university days. Uh, we flattered together. And every Tuesday morning at 7.30, I ring him, and we have 20-minute conversation. And we're doing it for years. Uh, and I trust Jake, and he trusts me, and I know him. I know his personality, I know his struggles, and he knows me pretty well too. And, and it's, it's a powerful relationship. And I, I was telling him, um, actually this week, that I, you know, I'm, I'm speaking on this topic. Of, and he's like, yeah, it's actually something that's really important. And, I don't th and he said to me, he said, I don't think a lot of people have what we have. And I stopped and I thought, oh yeah, I kind of take this for granted. But actually, I, I don't know. It's not something to talk about. But I, I would hazard a guess that not many of us do. And actually, I think that's got to change. Because I've, I've seen friends fall away from God. I've seen friends fall into adultery. I've seen friends do things which if they had someone who they could talk to, who they had a regular relationship with, then, then that wouldn't have led to that. It wouldn't have got that far. And there would have been, there would have been a safety gate. There would have, and it's, it's too late after the fact, people. You need to decide beforehand to put these things in place. The horse is bolted if you're, you know, you're, you're already dabbling in those things. No, you need to put these things in place beforehand. So find a person. This is a take-home point. Find that person. And I tell you what, they can be far right. You know, we have technology today. You can Zoom and you can Skype, you can FaceTime, you can whatever. You can just call them on a phone. But you can talk to people halfway around the world. Don't let that be an excuse. Don't think, oh, I know there's a lot of South Africans in the, in the room here. And you don't think, oh, I've come from South Africa. All my close friends are back in South Africa. That's not an excuse. You can call them. Uh-huh. You have phones? Yes, okay. You can, call, you can contact them. Hopefully, you know, you can find a friend in this space because, you know, when, that, when, there's, when, you, can, when you can face to face, it's even better. But my friend Jake, he's, he's in Dunedin. So we, we just have to make it work over the phone. But don't let that be an excuse. Number two, so find that person, number one. Number two, be honest and be specific. You determine the parameters of, of your relationship. You set the tone and determine how vulnerable you're going to be. And to be honest, it's a waste of time unless you are vulnerable, unless you are frank with the person. You need to be honest. You need to be real. And you need to be specific. Saying something like, I, li I lied to my boss and said I was working when I wasn't to avoid, because I wanted to avoid, you know, getting in trouble later, is far more honest and is far more freeing than saying something like, oh, I just need to be more truthful. Right? You need to, you need to get down to the nitty gritty. You need to actually say, no, this is what I did. This is what I'm struggling with. Alcoholics Anonymous, they had this right in their 12-step program. Step four speaks of taking a fearless or ruthless moral inventory. Fearless or ruthless moral inventory. We've got to be real with ourselves 
ruthless, in fact, and honest with the person we're confessing to. Because at the heart of it, actually, confession is just taking responsibility for what you've done. (laughs) And that's hard, because we don't like to take responsibility, right? We like to blame other people. We want to slip out of responsibility, and all of a sudden, our accountability time becomes like making excuses for the things that we did wrong. We've got to be careful that doesn't happen. To confess means to own up to the fact that our, our behavior wasn't just the result of our genes or our upbringing or, or you know, our tiredness in the moment, or, but actually somewhere in the mix, we made a choice. That choice was wrong, and we're confessing to it. We're owning up to it. Now, Jake and I, we, we, we don't have a list that we go through, but there's a number of topic, topics that we always, we always cover, and, and I'd suggest some of these for you as well. We talk about our relationship with God, you know, how we're going with Him, how our prayer life, reading the Bible, making space for God in our lives. Uh, we talk about our relationships with our wives, with our kids, how that's going, whether we've been yelling at the kids too much, whether we've been not making enough time for them, whether we're fighting with our spouse. Uh, we talk about our sexual purity, you know, how, our thought life, how we're going in that area. We talk about our work life, the relationships we have, how we, you know, whether there's people we're finding hard to deal with or forgive. And in that space, we have permission to challenge one another, to correct one another, to spur one another on. And, uh, you know, just at the moment, uh, you know, Jake's struggling with forgiveness towards someone who's hurt him. And uh, he's having to, there's an ongoing relationship there, and he's having to deal with that. And, and he, but I have permission to be able to say, actually, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about it from their perspective? Have you thought about, you know, and there's, a, there's an accountability there. There's an openness that, is helping. I genuinely believe uh, that our relationship is helping him to deal with this. And it's an important role that this person plays in his life. And he can't just walk away from it. He has to deal with it. We need people who can love and support us and help us to deal with those hard things in life. And so we need to be honest. We need to be specific. Thirdly, we actually need to change our perception. We need to Change our view of things. Because how many of you know that we don't like to change? We, and we find change hard. But actually, we need to change our perception of our sin. Because all, all sin involves a kind of moral myopia. It's like when, when there's nearsightedness. That means that we can't see our own sin because it's right in front of us. Right? We see other people's sin. And so how easy is it to find other people's, oh man, they need to fix that in their life. Oh, they, they, they struggle with that, obviously. It's easy to see what so-and-so struggles with, but we have a moral, a nearsightedness that we just can't see the things in front of us. Jesus talked about this, right? Luke 6, 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, when we have a log in our eye, not like a twig, but like a fence post uh, in one of our eyes, how many of you know that it's pretty hard to get perspective with a fence post in your eye? But so many of us are wandering around and sadly we do this as Christians because we, we, we gradually we get into this place where we look at the world around us. And because Jesus is talking 
So people who are like looking down, they're going, oh, look at those prostitutes. Look at those tax collectors. Look at those, man, all the things that they struggle with. I'm glad I'm not like that. But hello, Christians sitting in the room today. We look at the world around us. We go, oh, look at them struggling with their homosexuality. Oh, look at them struggling with their greed. Oh, look at them struggling with, oh, all those sinners. Man, I'm, I don't, I'm glad I don't struggle. And you've got a massive log in your face, right? We need to remove that. And see, this is what confession does. When we confess to someone, we're actually, actually uh, I need to deal with me. It's not my job to fix everybody else's problems. I'm responsible for my life. And if I want to take responsibility, I need to realize that I've got stuff wrong and I need to own up to it. Is this, is this, is this hard? Sorry. Am I hitting a bit hard here, church? But it's, it's so true, though, and it's easy to slide into that, that kind of we secretly judge everyone else for being whatever, dishonest, short-tempered. You know, there's, there's all these things when actually we've got a fence post in our own eyes. <laughs> When we confess, we pull that out and we just, we pull, it, basically it's a pause in our life and we're like, oh, man, I need to deal with this. I need to sort this out. I need to change my own perception of things. And then, and then when you have someone who, who can speak into your life, they can, they can help you. If they're a good friend, they'll give you some advice. They'll help you out. They'll encourage you that you can overcome that sin. You can overcome that issue. You can forgive that person. And, and when, the, when you feel that, you, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yes, I can do it. There's, again, there's a weight lifted and we believe again that something can change. Two great questions to ask in that moment when you're confessing to someone is, that, is to ask yourself is, why did I do what I did? It's a good question to ask, right? Why did I do it? Because there's always a reason underlying sin. Sin is tied to some need or other in our lives. We lie because we don't want to face the consequences of telling the truth. We gossip because we feel insecure or jealous. You know, sin is usually our attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Do you get that? Our sin is usually our illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need in our lives. So we seek connection, which is a legitimate need, in a wrong relationship. We seek comfort, which is a legitimate need, in food or alcohol or excesses of those. We seek pleasure, you know, that dopamine buzz, which is a legitimate need in our lives, in pornography or impulse shopping or something that gives us that buzz. But if we don't un- address the underlying need, then we'll just keep on sinning. So we need to ask ourselves, why did I do what I did? What need is this trying to fulfill in my heart, in my life. The second question asked is, what happened as a result of that sin? What happened as a result of that sin? And this can be painful, but when we stop and realize that actually my gossip hurt someone, my anger towards my kids is, is breaking a relationship. Uh, the way I'm looking at other women or other men is damaging my, my marriage. When we stop and we realize actually what our sin is doing, then it gives us impetus to change. Now, it won't cure you of the desire. You know, seldom does God just completely take away your earthly desires, but he develops in in us by his Holy Spirit the self-control, the ability to overcome in time. 
This kind of thing historically is called the prayer of examine, E-X-A-N-E-N. That's when we stop and we examine the state of our conscience. Where is the sin? Why is it there? How is it affecting my world and those around me? I don't think we're very good at that in our culture today. Of actually stopping and praying and go, God, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to correct in my life? And that leads me to my fourth point. So we need to change our perspective. And fourthly, we need to let godly sorrow change us. Let godly sorrow change us. What is godly sorrow? <laughs> well, let's read 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 10, 8 to 10. Apostle, the Apostle Paul talks of it. Even uh, if I cause you sorrow by my letter, so Paul's written a letter to the Corinthians, and he's stirred them up and made them sad. <laughs> I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So there's two different sorts of sorrow. Worldly sorrow, that's it's kind of like the sorrow that we got caught, the sorrow that we got found out, the so- or the sorrow that leaves us weighted down with guilt, and it leads to death, and we just feel bad about it. But godly sorrow is actually a good thing. We don't like to talk about sorrow in Pentecost because we're all happy. Yeah, woo, everything's great. But there's a thing called godly sorrow, and we need to embrace it. Godly sorrow, if it leads to repentance, is good. Godly sorrow is actually godly. Who knew? <laughs> the key is that it's got to lead to repentance. To repent just means to change. So it's got to lead to change in our lives. So our confession, it's no good just confessing the same thing week after week after week and not changing and not growing. Now, it might take years. There's still things in my life that I share with Jake that I still struggle with. I'm improving slowly. But you see, there's a desire to change. There's a desire to change in my heart. It's the, the dangerous thing is when we reach the point that actually, oh, I don't think I can change or I can't be stuffed. I just don't want to. Now, godly sorrow brings repentance, the Bible tells us, that leads to salvation. Remember that salvation is a process. Godly sorrow takes us on in that process of change. I want to invite the keys up now. We're just about done. The fifth, my final point in this whole confession kind of uh, discipline that we need to build into our lives is that we need to receive grace. We need to receive grace. All this confession thing, it's just a wasted human endeavor unless the grace of God comes and breathes on it. Unless we receive His forgiveness in the midst of it. Don't unburden yourself in confession and then walk out and just heap it all back on yourself again. Too often we do that. It's just like picking the burden back up and putting it back on. Well, why did you bother confessing in the first place? unless you wanted to walk free. Jesus says, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I believe that's burdened with sin as well. Not just weariness and tiredness, but burdened by guilt, burdened by shame, burdened by sin in our lives. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My burden is light. So when we come and we confess to someone else, and they say, you know what, Jesus forgives you. It's okay. There's a lightness that comes to your spirit. There's a forgiveness that comes. And I think this morning, God wants to do two things. He actually wants you to come to Him this morning and unburden yourself. Don't worry, you're not going to have to confess to the person next to you. But my second thing I want to see happen today is you're going to ask God who that person is in your life that you can confess with. And this week, you're going to go and you're going to give Him a call. You're going to meet Him for coffee. You're going to make that happen. Because otherwise, this is pointless. I've just spoken for 30 minutes for no reason whatsoever. You should have just gone home half an hour ago, right? Yeah. And I've just wasted all this time preparing this message if nothing changes in our hearts, if we don't actually act on it. Faith without works is dead, the Bible tells us. So we need to find that person. So why don't, you, why don't we all stand to our feet in this moment? Man, I just, I just know God wants to do a precious work some people because some of you have been carrying burdens you've been carrying guilt you've been carrying shame you've been carrying sin or unforgiveness whatever it is and you need to confess it before him and you can do that in your hearts but I encourage you this week when you find that person do it do it in that space as well because there's something freeing to hear someone else say you are forgiven I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now but I think we need to do it one-on-one as well. So just in this moment, why don't you close your eyes and just welcome Him. And in this moment, ask Him, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Speak. Speak in this moment. God, I pray that you would show us what it is that we can't see for ourselves. Just for a moment, Lord, we take the log out of our eyes and we ask for a fresh perspective. Point out that unforgiveness. Point out that that hidden sin that we maybe deliberately or inadvertently are hiding from you. Show us what we need to confess. And and in this moment, and let's do it right now, church. Let's just confess our sin just in your heart. Confess whatever you need before God. name of Jesus I want to tell you your sin is forgiven your sin is forgiven His grace takes it away thank you Jesus thank you Jesus and now in this moment I want you to ask God God who's that person who is that person that I need to ring up or talk with this week and just say, hey, look, 
We need, we need to start having a regular conversation because I want to grow in my faith and I want, to, I want to change. But I know that to do that, I need someone who I can be really upfront and honest with. Can you be that person? Find someone to be a confessor to. Uh, right now, God, I pray that you would place in every, in every mind a face, a person for them. In Jesus' name. Hey, there's one more, there's one more group of people I want to talk to. If, if you're here this morning and you haven't come to know Jesus, the mediator between us and God, the one who, who allows us to have a relationship with Him, who goes before us, is our high priest, the Bible tells us. He is the one who, who paid the price for our sin and has made a way for us to know God. If you're here this morning, you don't know God the Father, through Jesus the Son, that just with every eye closed and head bowed, if you want to know Him now, just raise your hand and I will see it. And you can put it down and then we will we'll pray together. Is there anybody here? You'll know who you are because there's a, there'll be a battle going on inside you. There'll be voices saying, no, you don't need to do that. No, no, this is just silly religious thing. You don't need to do that. But there's also a stronger, louder voice. It's the voice of God saying, I love you. You're my child. Come home to me. Does anybody want to do that this morning? Just raise your hand. I'll see it. Nice and high. Give me a wave. Is this a, is this a hand? No, that's not a hand. Okay. You can put your... Put your, uh, put your eyes open. <laughs> put them open like that with your fingers. Uh, awesome. Hey, let's do this, church. Let's actually build these disciplines into our lives. Let's not just have a nice series on them. Let's actually start to build them because that will make us disciples of Jesus. And that is the aim, right? Awesome.